Alright, well, if you remember last time we were together, we were in the book of Genesis, the 39th chapter, and we kind of left things on a cliffhanger, and we're going to continue today in Genesis, this time in Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40, if you have your Bibles with you. Again, I won't go back and read it, but we have been talking about Joseph because he is mentioned in the Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11. And what it says there is that he had the anticipation that God would lead his children, the children of Israel, out of Egypt and to the promised land. And he said, when that happens, bring my bones with you. And it's kind of interesting to me that with all the faith that Joseph shows, that that is the one thing that is mentioned in the Hall of Faith. But because of that, I feel he is worth our study. And so today we will be covering Genesis chapter 40, Lord willing. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the chapter, and then we'll... Uh, open in a word of prayer. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in war. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning, and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in ward of his lord's house, saying, Wherefore look you so sadly today? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong unto God? Tell them me, I pray you. And the chief butler told his dream unto Joseph, and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in that vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded. And her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took grapes, and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup. And I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head, and shall restore thee unto thy place, and shall deliver Pharaoh's cup, into his hand, after the former manner, when thou wast his butler. But think on me, when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And in the utmost basket 
There were all manners of baked meats for the Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, and shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off of thee. And it came to pass on the third day, which was the Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants, and he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again. And he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet did the chief butler, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. May the Lord have his blessing on the reading of his word. Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that as we would open it and plumb its depths uh, this evening, that you would give clarity of mind and, and thought to myself, and that you would just give clarity of understanding to everyone here, that we would come away with some great nugget from your word, as you always promise, that if we seek um, wisdom as buried treasure, we will find it. And so we just pray that today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, um, well, uh, there's a lot that's going on in this chapter, and uh, I've titled today's message, um, Persevering in Prison. Now, there's a lot that has gone on in Joseph's um, life to this point. And then there's a lot that's going on in tonight's portion. Just by way of a quick review, um, Joseph was born of um, Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, which that was the, the first problem, was that um, Jacob uh, um, had four wives, and uh, he loved Rachel more than any of the other three. Um, actually, Leah was his other official wife, and then the other two were concubines because the sisters started getting in this competition. But whatever the case may be, Joseph was the oldest son of Rachel. And as such, he got a favored status um, within the brothers. And they didn't like that. So they looked on him with disdain. And then he started having dreams, and he said... You're going to serve me one day, and once again. So he goes from being this favored son, which is a big plus in some ways, um, to being this despised son. And then his father sends him to check on his brothers, and uh, he gets put into a pit, and then he gets pulled out of the pit and sold into slavery. So we see these ups and downs in Joseph's life. And then he goes into slavery, and what did we learn over and over again in last time's passage? We, see, we saw this phrase three or four times in Genesis chapter 39. The Lord was with him. And we're going to see that again in Genesis chapter 40. It's in an unlikely place because you're thinking, well, he's in prison. His life should be over. I mean, there's nothing worth living for in prison. But let's look um, at our portion and our first uh, point 
is that Joseph has the discernment to think of others before himself. And this is even more remarkable when you realize that he's in prison. And so let's read the first seven verses again. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against the two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard uh, charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in war. Now, before I go any further, just think about this. That the chief butler and the chief baker were under the charge of Joseph. And who was Joseph but a Hebrew slave? And yet he was given the responsibility over these leaders in the kingdom when they were put in jail. Now a lot of people look at the story of Joseph and they might say, well, he went from being a slave to being the prince of Egypt overnight. But he didn't. Every stop that he made along his journey was an opportunity to learn how to serve and be a leader. He learned some humility when he was down in the pit, no doubt. And then when he went to uh, Egypt as a slave, he could have kind of thrown in his chips and been this bitter person, but he didn't. He worked hard for Potiphar, and God bless Potiphar for Joseph's sake, because it says the Lord was with him. And then everything is going kind of hunky-dory, as we would say, in Potiphar's house, and then Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph and says, Joseph, be with me in a way that was inappropriate. And she persisted, and he said no. And he was so determined not to do that and sin against God that he ran out and left his garment behind. And then she made up a story about him and gets him thrown into prison. So first he's a favored son. Then he's a slave albeit somewhat favored, and then he's in prison. So far, things aren't going too well, right? He's not really going up, he's going down. He's in what we would consider a downward spiral, but God is continuing to use Joseph. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man a dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came unto them in the morning and looked on them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were in ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look you so sadly today? Now, to me this is significant because I think anybody that would be in prison would be sad. It's not a happy place. I've been to the Kent County Jail. There's not like bright colors. You know, it's not an exciting place to be. So the fact that Joseph had the discernment to realize that this, this baker and this cupbearer had a sadness that was unlike what they had when they first came into the jail, and that he was concerned about them, that he took his responsibility for them seriously, 
showed a great deal of discernment and wisdom on Joseph's part. And he says, why are you so sad today? And uh, we also saw how um, they, are, they dreamed these dreams. Remember, in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph dreamed dreams. And God gave him a meaning for those dreams. I mean, he wasn't wrong when he told his brothers, hey, this is my dream and, and this is what happened. And, I, and he was kind of implying, you know, I, I think I know what God's going to do. He probably did what wasn't the wisest in the way he talked about them. But his interpretation of them was spot on, as we'll find out. So Joseph has already been given this gift by God through him to interpret these dreams. He's had some practice with this. And so he's going to be ready to do what this calls for. And as I think about this, and as I think about where Joseph is in this prison, and how he's now the head over the prison, I think it says in, in uh, let's go back to, to chapter 39, verse 22, while we're, while we're um, just jumping into this chapter. It's, well, let's start with verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph, and showed him mercy, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand, all the prisoners that were in the prison, that whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. Can you imagine how much easier that jailer's job was in the fact that Joseph was put in charge of all the prisoners? This is a prisoner, and yet he's put in charge of all the prisoners. So he's, he's doing the job that he's been given. Sometimes in my life I have lamented not being given different jobs and different opportunities, but then I hear God's still small voice say, Andrew, do the job that I've given you to do, and when you do that faithfully, then I'll give you more. And he has done that. And we're going to see that progression happen for Joseph. Let's look by way of cross-reverence at... Um, Psalms, Psalm, chapter 37, verse 5. Psalm 37, verse 5. If somebody gets there, uh, they can read it for us. Psalm 37, 5. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring to pass. Alright, so I believe this is an example of that verse. That whether Joseph was... Um, going to the fields to report for his to check on his brothers, um, to report for his father, or whether he was, or especially whether he was the slave in Egypt or whether he was in prison, he was committing his way unto the Lord. We never see any lament or even a lamentable prayer from Joseph in these verses that says. God, woe is me, why am I here? That doesn't mean, I don't think that means he never had those thoughts because I believe he was very human. 
But I think his overall thought was, God, what are you going to do for me in this circumstance? Because somehow, through all of his growing up years, even though his father was wrong to make him the favorite, he must have instilled in him a respect for the God of Abraham and Isaac. A real faith in that God. Because keep in mind, not only is he waiting on God in this place, but he's waiting on God in this place where God doesn't exist. As far as the Egyptians are concerned, who is God? Pharaoh is God. So it's very significant that um, that Joseph has this attitude. And it's just exciting to see how Joseph has committed to the Lord. I found this little story from Our Daily Bread, or, no, that's for my next point. All right, so the second point is Jesus, or Joseph gives the butler good news and asks to be remembered. Okay, so he's about to find out about these dreams. So let's read um, Genesis chapter 40, <coughs> verses 8 to 15. Genesis 40, 8 to 15. And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell them, I pray you. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in that vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy hand and, and restore thee unto thy place. And thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. But think on me when it shall be with thee and show kindness I pray thee unto me and make mention of me unto Pharaoh and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and here also I have done nothing that should put me into the dungeon. So Joseph is saying, first of all, the, the thing I really like about this is he doesn't say, I will tell you the interpretation of it. I know how to interpret dreams. No, he doesn't say that. Instead he says, do not interpretations belong to God. You see, he knew that any opportunity and any ability that he had to interpret dreams came from God above. That without God, he was just a man. And he had no ability to interpret these dreams. It reminds me of Daniel. When he was captured in Babylon and the king there dreamt dreams. And he said to his servants, he said, Tell me the dream. He didn't even know his dream. He said, tell me the dream and the interpretation of it or you're all going to die. 
That's what he said. And Daniel, having wisdom, said to the king, don't kill everyone. Give me a few days and I will come back to you with an interpretation because there's a God in heaven who interprets dreams. And so he went back and he told Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he said, we have to pray about this and God will give us direction. And he came back a few days later and he told Pharaoh the dream or he told the king of Babylon the dream and he told him the interpretation of it. And so what happened a few years later when there was a hand that wrote on the wall, Mimi, Mimi, Tinkle, you farson. They went to Daniel and they said, please give us the interpretation. Because even though they didn't trust the God of Daniel, they knew that God would use Daniel. And so we see a very similar thing here with Joseph. He says, God will interpret the dream. So the butler gives him his dream and he gives the butler good news. He says, in three days, you'll get your job back. Y'all put the cup into the hand of the king again. And he says, when that happens, he says, remember me, remember me to the king. Because I'm here in this dungeon. I've done nothing wrong. And I want to be taken out of here. <coughs> Even he as godly as he was, knew that he didn't belong in jail and wanted to get out. Perfectly reasonable response. And so then, uh, all right. so let's look um, by way of cross-reference at 1 Peter 3, 17 and 18. 1 Peter 3, 17 and 18. And while you're turning there, I just will say that as this is going on, I don't know if the cupbearer and the baker were together when this first dream interpretation uh, happened, but perhaps they weren't, but when the when the cupbearer walks out with this good news, probably encourage the baker to come to, to uh, Joseph and ask for an interpretation of his dream. Before we get to that, does somebody have our first Peter passage? For it is better if the will of God be so that he suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. 17 and 18. For Christ also has suffered, once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Alright, so I, I, in general, I don't like to draw a lot of um, parallels between Joseph and Jesus. I know there are a lot of them there. 
But Joseph is a man. But I do think it's interesting that in this case, later on, when Joseph is reunited with his brothers, what's he going to say? He's going to say, God sent me before you to save many people alive. And it's very it's similar to what Jesus did when he, when he says that when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And it's better, as it says in that passage, to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil. If we do evil, we're going to suffer because God chastens those he loves. But it's better if we suffer for doing evil. And the Bible does say we will suffer. It says, it says if you are persecuted for my sake, rejoice and be happy. Now that's not what we want to do in those cases. We want to be bitter and be sad, but he says, rejoice and be happy, for you are counted worthy to suffer for my sake. And so, I think we see a parallel here. As Joseph is sitting there in prison, I don't know if he, if he was thinking about those earlier dreams at that point, but he's probably like, well, what is God doing here? I, I, he put me in a pit, then he sold me into slavery, then he put me here in jail. And I faithfully served here, so now I want to get out. So he says, remember me. And he tells the baker to remember him. And it seems pretty simple. Like if the baker is restored to his job, it seems like he'd be so excited. He'd be like, this guy told me that I would be restored to my job. And I was, and so you need to let him go. He's a good guy. And he took care of me while I was in jail. But we'll see that that doesn't exactly happen as we go on here. I just wanted to share this quick excerpt from Our Daily Bread. It says this, To those Christians who are always in a hurry, here's some advice from the 19th century preacher A.B. Simpson. Beloved, have you ever thought that someday you will not have anything to try you or anyone to vex you? There will be no opportunity in heaven to learn or to show the spirit of patience forbearance or long-suffering. If you are to practice these things, it must be now. Yes, each day affords countless opportunities to learn patience. Let's not waste them. Commenting on our need for this virtue, M.A. Lout said, God's best gifts come slowly. We could not use them if they did not. Many a man called of God to a work which he is pouring out, to a work in which he is pouring out his life, is convinced that the Lord means to bring his efforts to a successful conclusion. Nevertheless, even such a confident worker grows discouraged at times and worries because results do not come as rapidly as he would desire. But growth and strength in waiting are results often greater than the end so impatiently longed for. Paul had the time to realize this as he laid in prison. Moses must have asked why many times during the delays in Midian and in the wilderness. Jesus himself experienced the discipline of delay in his silent years before his great public ministry began. God wants us to see results as we work for him, but his first concern is our growth. That's why he withholds success until we have learned patience. The Lord teaches us this needed lesson through the blessed discipline of delay. And perhaps this is no more starkly seen than in the life of Joseph. Would 17-year-old Joseph 
who was the apple of his father's eye and given everything he ever wanted from his father, been ready to lead the people of Egypt out of famine? Probably not. But God knew the training that Joseph would need. He knew that he would need training by becoming a leader in Potiphar's house. He knew that he would need training by being a leader in the prison. And he knew that he would need training in probably the quiet hours of solitude that he sometimes had in the prison. Where he learned, no doubt, similar to the psalmist, be still and know that I am God. And sometimes it is in delay that we learn the biggest lessons. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. There are so many jobs that I thought I wanted. So many rejection letters. There was a time when I was applying for jobs when I felt like I could wallpaper my house with the number of rejection letters I got. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm finally working in a job where I feel blessed every day to go to work. But if I had jumped the gun and taken one of those jobs that I thought I so desperately wanted, I wouldn't be experiencing the blessings that I am now. If I had not heeded the advice of my father and other godly mentors and blessings in my life, I would not be a preacher now. See, my dad said, you have a gift. You need to use it. God wants to use you, but you need to be willing to use it. See, when I got out of college, the only thing I cared about for the first couple of years, largely, was to get that full-time job so that I could buy a house, so that I could raise a family. Now, these things are not bad things in and of themselves, and I still have those goals. But the point was, God wanted me to preach. And my dad saw that in me and other people saw that in me and cultivated that and pushed me and prodded me until I surrendered to God. And even after I surrendered, I was like, well, if I surrender, that means I will be busy all the time. I will, I'll preach 50 out of 52 weeks a year. I'll have more uh, opportunities than I know what to do with. But that's not true. That's not the way it's happened. Because you know why? Because God still has things to teach me. And he needs to feed me in order to allow me to feed others. Because what I have to say is not very important. But what God has to say is. And he wants to make sure that I'm able to convey his message in, in a godly and proper way. And I'll tell you, when I read that, thing that I just read you about the discipline of delay that just reminded me of the blessings that God gives us even when he doesn't give us what we want in his timing so we've looked at Joseph thinking of others as our first point we looked at Joseph giving the butler good news and asking to be remembered and now for our third and final point, we're going to see Joseph gives the chief baker bad news and is forgotten. So let's look at 
Genesis chapter 40, verses 16 to 23. Genesis chapter 40, verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And in the utmost basket there were all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof, the three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, and shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. Now let me just stop here and say, Joseph had every... Um, nobody would have blamed Joseph from a human perspective if he had said I don't want to give you the interpretation of this dream or even worse if he had given him some kind of cushy interpretation of his dream if he had told him what he wanted to hear if he had made him feel good for those three days no one would have blamed him from a human level but when you're speaking for God you have the the you have only one real option and that is to tell the truth. You see, as a preacher, my job is to tell you the truth. And the truth is that as a person, your heart along with my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Now you can choose to be mad at me for saying that. And some people have been mad at me for saying but it doesn't make it any less true. And I could sit up here and I could say instead, I'm okay, you're okay, let's all just be okay. But then when you wake up in the hereafter, someday, and it's not heaven, but instead is the fires of hell, what are you going to be saying to God? That guy told me I was okay. It doesn't matter if I tell you you're okay. If the Bible says you're not, you're not. And so my job is to tell you that you're not okay. But the one who is gave himself for you. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so as Joseph is, is preparing to tell this dream, he could have sugarcoated it. But he doesn't. As a matter of fact, he goes into detail. He says, the king's going to lift your head from off you. Decapitation. He says, the birds are going to eat your flesh as you're hanging there. It's not a pleasant thing. But it's not about sugarcoating. And we'll see the true vindication of Joseph's predictions. In verse 20 it says, And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph.
but forgot him. How devastating on a human level must it have been to Joseph? Put in a pit by his brothers, forgotten there until they can make a buck. Sold into slavery, falsely accused, brought to prison, basically languishing there, and he finally gets this opportunity, and he says, remember me. When you get your job back, remember me. And as I said, it would seem to make sense that he would because it's pretty major to get your job back from the Pharaoh. But he doesn't. He forgot him. Is there any more devastating phrase? But you know who didn't forget Joseph? God. God didn't forget Joseph. And next time when we're together, or perhaps a couple times from now, because I might do a Thanksgiving message, but next time we visit Joseph, we will find that God knew what he was doing all along. You know, we have the blessed privilege of being able to look back through the past history and see the end of the story. And so when I think about my story and the way it's unfolding and how it's frustrating in some ways, I won't go into detail about why. You've heard many of those reasons already. But when I think about that, I look at the life of Joseph as one of my inspirations and examples because Joseph thought that his life was going horribly and then God did exceedingly abundantly above what even Joseph, I think, could have even thought. I mean, here he was in jail one day for a crime he didn't commit and the next day he was the most powerful man in Egypt. Pharaoh said the same thing that the jailer said, the same thing that Potiphar said. Nobody's going to be able to do anything without your permission, Joseph. I can't even fathom what that would be like if, if like, for in contemporary terms, if the President of the United States said to me, nobody is going to be able to do anything without your permission, Andrew. I don't want that responsibility. But I'm just saying, I don't understand. I can't fathom what that would be like. But that was Joseph's reality. Because God does things far above and beyond what we can ever comprehend. Can we look at um, Psalm 27, verse 10? Psalm 27, 10. This was Joseph too. Remember? We just read. He asked the baker to remember him to Pharaoh and it says that he forgot him. The chief butler remembered not Joseph but forgot him. He wasn't with it. His mother had died. His father was away from him in Canaan. His brothers had deserted him. They had told his father that he was dead. 
So his father didn't even have an expectation to be praying for him. Because as far as his father knew, he was gone. Quite frankly, I don't know how his brothers hid it from their father all those years. I don't know how you could hide something like that. But they did. And so he is for all appearances forsaken. Yet if God hasn't forsaken you, you are not forsaken. But if God has forsaken you, if you've turned your back on God, if you've rejected God and you haven't become one of His, then it doesn't matter how many people on the earth know your name. At the end of life, it will mean nothing. Every time I see these celebrity deaths on Facebook, my first thought is, but what did they do with Jesus Christ? It doesn't matter how many accolades we give them. It doesn't matter how much we lament them. What matters is, does God know them? And I may be known by a relatively small amount of people, but guess what? God knows me. Jesus died for me. He stands up for me every day, every day as we talked about this morning as my advocate. When I sin, as I surely do. And he says, you know what, Father? I paid for Andrew's sin. It's taken care of. It's done with. So no matter how anonymous I end up being in this life, the most important thing is that God knows me. And may I say to you, it doesn't matter how many people know your name? If God knows your name, that's what matters. If you're chasing fame in this world, it's not worth it. It will be fleeting. See, the interesting thing about Joseph was he chased God and he ended up getting fame. Now, it doesn't mean you will get fame, but I just find it interesting that sometimes God throws that in. He gives you a platform of influence if you're using what you've been given. He says, he who is faithful in the little things will be faithful also in much. Joseph was faithful to serve his father. He was faithful to serve Potiphar. He was faithful to serve the jailer. So when it was time to call on somebody to serve the Pharaoh, who was most qualified? Joseph, because he'd already proven he was faithful. I just want to close with this story also from the Daily Bread about William Wilberforce. It says, Young William Wilberforce was discouraged one night in the early 1790s after another defeat in his 10-year battle against the slave trade in England. Tired and frustrated, he opened his Bible and began to leaf through it. A small piece of paper fell out and fluttered to the floor. It was a letter written by John Wesley shortly before his death. Wilberforce read it again. Unless the divine power has raised you up, I see, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable practice slavery, which is the scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God before you, who can be, who can be against you? 
Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go in the name of God and in the power of his might. You see, Joseph was put in prison, and for all intents and purposes, you would think that ends any positive thing he could do. His power was taken away. But see, the power that he was relying on was the power of God, and the power of God will not be stopped. There have been many times when I thought, for one reason or another, whether it be my car accident or the time I drove my wheelchair in the pool, if you want to ask me about that later, you can. Many times when I thought that the end was here. But every time God has delivered me, I have realized that he has more for me to do. There's an old song that says, I am determined to be invincible till he has finished his purpose in me. And nothing shall shake me. No, he'll never forsake me, for I am determined to live for my king. My prayer for you is that you would be determined to live for your king. And if he's not your king today, I would ask you to make him your king today. You see, he is Lord of all. He's Lord of everything. And so the choice that we have to make is not whether he's Lord. That's already established. But whether we will allow him to assume the rightful place in our lives. And if you do that, he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ever ask or think. That's my testimony, and I venture to guess we could go around this room and hear testimony after testimony of how that's true. But it's only true through God. There's two very contradictory um, ways to go about life. Jesus said this, without me you can do nothing. But Paul said this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Those are the two ways to live the human life. To live it with Christ and do everything that he calls you to. Or to live without Christ and do nothing. I'd rather do all things that he calls me to. And I hope that you would say the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story of Joseph. We thank you that even though as we leave the passage today that he has been forgotten, we know that you have not forgotten him and you're about to do a mighty work in his life as you have all along. Lord, I just pray for safety on the roads as we travel our separate ways. And I pray that if there be anyone here that does not know Joseph's God, the one true God, that they would come to know him today, that they would confess him as Lord, because he promises to never leave us or forsake us. I pray all this in Jesus' name, asking you to um, make your face shine upon each one here and give them peace. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen.